The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, the, uh, had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now we've already alluded to one of the um, names of God today. And this is one of the other names of God. And by the way, hello and good morning. It's great to be amongst each other. And... uh, The Lord is so teaching us at the moment, so doing downloads on us, so expressing what he wants us to do, and at the same time, one of the key words that he's talking to us about is dying. All right? Dying. It's interesting that actually Denise got this book by a guy called Art Katz. I don't know if any of you have heard of Art Katz. He's linked actually into... Correct me if I'm wrong, Denise, but kind of Kansas City guys at some stage, wasn't he? He was one of the Kansas City prophets. No, he wasn't. But anyway, he was linked into them, yes. And he wrote a book called Unto Death. If you want to be challenged, didn't he? Who wrote it? (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, it's the FAI guy. Yeah, no, you're right. That's right, Dalton Thomas, that's it, sorry. But he knows Art Katz. That's where the link was. So I picked, it was by um, Denise's bedside, and I was on my own all day, and I thought, oh, this looks good book. Denise hadn't told me. And I read it, took the whole day, and it was extremely challenging. And at the same time, I was reading another book by Bruce Allen called The Third Day. And guess what? They mirror each other. And it's all about what we have been praying into this morning. It's all about putting everything on the altar everything on the altar because you see we are the generation and the Lord is our banner yeah now we're going to dig a bit deeper into this the only time in scripture where you see the Lord called the Lord is our banner is the passage that I've um, just read out to you and uh, you know there are many other names of God and the previous name of God actually which occurs in Exodus 15 is I am the Lord that heals you. So the Lord is my banner, is Jehovah Nissi. I am the Lord that heals you, is Jehovah Rapha. And incidentally, just as a byside, Jehovah Rapha 
links, and you can see quotes throughout the Bible about this, to our healing in total. It's body, soul, and spirit, yeah? It's everything. It's mind, emotion, physical, etc. Those are the promises of the Lord. And so in each of the names of the Lord, there is total and utter significance. Now, I felt the Lord tell me to talk about this today. The reason for that was that just, one, just during one of the hours of prayer that uh, we were doing uh, as part of, of this ministry, this is what the Lord spoke to me about for this church and for us, that the Lord is our banner and talking about the Amalekites and what the significance of this was for us and for this generation. So that's why I'm talking about this. Now, against the backdrop of this, and this is in fact pivotal in this, is prayer. You know, what are we doing as we're praying? You know what prayer does, don't you? And we know this experientially. As we pray, we get cleansed. Why? Because we focus on truth. And what does Jesus say in John 17? Sanctify them by your truth, by your word. Yeah? So that's one of the things that comes out of prayer. We are purified. We are made holy. You know, it's a work in progress. And prayer is incredibly important. And as we pray, the Lord, I think, does resets on us. He now enables us to align more perfectly with what he wants us to do. Now, a couple of things about prayer that I personally have been shown. I've been quite influenced. I was sharing this with Andy last night. Um, I've been influenced by John Wesley. John Wesley always prayed in the same place every day. Do you know that? Any idea why? We talk about this before. Portals. It's all about the fact that we create a portal over us. And if we pray in the same place every day, it becomes more and more powerful. I totally, totally believe that. Another guy who talks about it and teaches about it is this guy who's a friend of Bruce Allen, whose name I can't pronounce. But I'm that he talks about that incredibly importantly. Can I give you a piece of uh, personal testimony? So I have followed this about praying in the same place for years. So I, uh, in my house in London, um, I pray. Well, you know, we lived there for many, many years, and I prayed in the same place every day. Not only did I pray in the same place every day, I used the same chair to pray in when I was sitting down. And hear this correctly right now. Th- this is for all of us, okay? People would come into that room and go, wow, what's going on here? As a woman of God came and we allowed her to sleep in our house, Denise and I weren't there, and she sat in the chair and went, wow. Because you see, there was a portal there. We can actually create portals. So the more we pray in one place, the bigger the portal, the bigger the download, the bigger the revelation, the easier the battle becomes. We overcome because the Lord's our banner. We're holding up something. Do you understand? That's the importance of praying in the same place every day. And that does not mean that we can't pray anywhere else. Understand me here. But the basic, and I do it now, when I pray, I pray in the same place every day. Because it is my belief, scripturally I believe, that I develop a bigger portal and I have an open heaven And I communicate with God. Yeah? It was one of the things, actually, before the Pensacola revival, there was a book written called When the Heavens Are Brass. That's a direct quote from Scripture, the Old Testament. When heavens are brass, the Lord, you know, actually encouraged us. When the heavens are brass, breakthrough. 
yeah? And when the breakthrough comes, boy, the whole of heaven pulls out. Because God is more wanting to hear from us than we want to talk to him. Yeah? I was praying, and just another example, and then, uh, because I think this is so linked to this. I was praying in, the, in an open field in London about two weeks ago. And it was such a wonderful time. The two things the Lord showed me was about myself. He took me back. I had a vision. The Lord took me back to when I was three. I can tell you the clothes I was wearing, the garden I was in. I can show the long grass. It was all in colour. And I remember it so clearly. And uh, it was actually my nan, because I, I lived with my nan for several years. My parents lived there, uh, obviously. And we're in the ba- I was in the back of the garden. I used to go there. And at the age of three... I used to think, why doesn't my nan cut the grass in this part of a garden? I can remember that. And what the Lord showed me was that at that moment, he was with me. I saw the Lord in all his glorious splendour next to me. What the Lord was trying to show me was something to do with, you know, the seasons of life. That we actually go through different seasons of our lives, but actually the Lord is with us. He was there He's here and he's going to be there. Yeah? The second thing that I had, which is going to link into this now, is that and, and when you see something in the spirit, it's very difficult to earth it because the Bible teaches us, Genesis 1, that there are ten dimensions. So you, we can't understand ten dimensions, can we? We can only understand four, and that's a push. But it was like the whole of history was kind of there, going on at the same time. And our, or our positioning was absolutely vital. And how there was so much war in heaven right now. And that the times of their fulfilment are imminent. Yeah? War in heaven. And that takes us to this passage, the Amalekites. Because right now, when you look at the world, and this can, we have to understand this applies at several levels, yeah? There's a personal level, absolutely important. There's a, a level that's going on around us, our family and our friends, our church. And then there's the national and international, there's the global, yeah? And all of it is important, and all of it is in the right perspective. And we have to understand all of it at the same time. The Lord reveals it to us. We mustn't have our head buried in the sand. So right now, there is global, global warfare. If I can just touch, to ex- and this example of that, Brexit. Because what I'm trying to express today is what's going on in heaven. What is going on in heaven? What is God saying? You see, what's happening about Brexit is... It's like the front line for an incredible ideological and worldview battle that is happening in heaven. Let me just explain that. The worldview that is being currently challenged is the one that we have, which is Christian, pro-Israel, God is king of the universe, Jesus died on the cross, And out of that comes, if you like, Western society in broad brushstrokes. That is our worldview. That is yours and mine. That is a fight over reality. 
The opposing worldview that is right now happening is anti-God, anti-Semitic, moral relativism, all these things that we know of, political correctness, okay? That is the, that is the opposing worldview, global, uh, uh, global globalization of everything, you know, no, no barriers to nations or anything. It's all total one world. What's the word I'm looking for? I've, uh, globalization. Yeah. Um, anyway, but it, it's so there's this massive clash of worldviews going on and ideologies. Yeah, ideology is a battle over what is right. Worldview is a battle over what is true. That's the difference. But they're linked. And so politics is no longer based on the same worldview. This is what's so important. 30 years ago, you would vote for Labour or you'd vote for Tory and it'd be against the backdrop of a similar worldview, albeit that it was sliding. Politics isn't about that anymore. It is absolutely not. It's about worldview and ideology. And left and right have taken on new meanings. Yeah? It's absolutely vital to understand this. This is becoming a battle about God versus the devil, focused on the cross with, guess what, the victory on the cross. So we've got to understand the basis of what, this, what, what everything's going on, yeah? It is battle supreme, it's battle cosmic. That's why we are the generation, amen? amen. And we've got to better be ready because we're the generation Guys, there is no generation after this one. That is why the downloads are so prolific, if you like, and God wants to download much, 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 much more than now. That's why the battles over us are so big at a personal, corporate, and world level. Yeah? So important. Can I, just about Brexit... Europe. Why are we wanting Brexit? It's written in heaven. Okay? Now listen. Europe comes from the word Europa. Now listen to what I'm about to say. It's really important. In Greek mythology, Zeus, Zeus transforms himself into a bull because he sees a pretty woman on a beach called Europa. He comes to her as a bull, she sits on him as a bull, uh, as a bull, and he rapes her. The symbol of Zeus, 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 because this, this bull had huge horns. The symbol became the crescent of the horns, which became a crescent moon. Okay? The symbol of the old moon god in Egypt was the crescent moon. The symbol of Zeus was the crescent moon. The symbol of the crescent moon is now... Thank you. Do you understand why we have to Brexit? Do you understand that the battle is so fierce because of what's going on in the spirit realm? This is nothing to do with politics. 
This is to do with us believing in the Lord. And do you know why God has given us this opening? Because of the history of God in this land. 2,000 years of Christian walking in this land and we're being given an opportunity to demonstrate that we worship the one and only true God. And we have this opposite ideology that thinks we are phobic about just about everything there is, but actually we love with the real love. That's the irony of it. So we have to go back and look at these... You know, Jesus said, it says in Scripture in the New Testament, I've forgotten the quote now, they hated me without reason, is what Jesus said. Have you ever wondered about that? They hated me without reason. That's why they hate you and me without reason. You cannot reason with this ideology. You can't. It's impossible. You can only fight against it by the power of God that reveals himself to them in conviction and repentance and a following and a turning to him. It's the only way. That is why I believe we have to have revival. It's the only answer. It is not me being intellectual. There's a place for it. And there's people who are doing it very well. Some of them aren't Christians. But there's some people doing it very, very well. Now when it comes, you know, it's important to look at the Bible to understand. We're talking about the Amalekites. You know what God ordained? He said, wipe them out as a name from under heaven. That's what he said about Amalekites. Yeah? Now let's look at Amalekites. Amalek. Can I just have the first? Oh, it's on there. Next. Uh, so, this is number one slide, but this is the family of Abraham, and you will see Isaac and Ishmael, which I'll talk about in a minute. Next slide, if that's okay. Okay. So, here you've got Eliphaz, who is a son of Esau. And we'll talk about Esau in a minute. He has a bondservant woman called Timah, and their child is Amalek. Okay, so Amalek is descended from Esau. Okay? And Amalek, do you know what Amalek means? Doubt. How about that? And guess what? It has the same Amalek, the word Amalek has the same numerical number in Hebrew as the word doubt. How about that? Amalek stands for everything that is doubt. What is present in this nation right now? You know, we're a nation of doubters. Have you asked yourself why the Americans move, and I'm going to be stereotypical here, okay? But for the sake of this talk, it's important. The Americans move in the prophetic and being freedom in the spirit in a way we don't quite have. Yeah? Because we are more doubters and we're a bit cynical. Yeah? I said something to, I was sharing the gospel with someone on Friday. And I said, how do you know? So that's where Amalek, now 
Amalekites is mentioned 33 times in the scripture. Amalek is mentioned four. And I just want to talk about some of the Amalekites that you find because it's really, really important. Remember, God says he wants the Amalekites wiped out from under heaven. That's what it says in, Ex in Exodus chapter 17. And the reason is because Amalekites stood for everything that speaks of rebellion. Okay, if you look at Jewish sage literature, they will always link Amalekites with rebellion. Okay? That's why their name has to be wiped out from under heaven. Now, you, you first meet Amalek a couple, two, two or three chapters earlier, the Amalekites, where Abraham, before he gets called Abraham, actually meets them at war and defeats the Amalekites, yeah? That's where you first meet them. And you meet them periodically. They actually come up when they're on the way to the Promised Land. They attack Israel. There is also a King Agag that you will possibly recall. Uh, not a King Agag. I'm going to talk about him in a minute. Sorry, I always get these two um, confused. Agag, let me just make sure my notes. Arad, that's right, Numbers 21. Arad. Now, he's called a Canaanite, but Jewish sages will say that he was actually a Melachite, and he came against the Israelites uh, dis disguised, because there's deception there. And, uh, in fact, the army was defeated uh, by him. You'll remember, if we fast forward to Samuel, in, in the middle of 1 Samuel, you will see the first king of Israel, Saul, was told to wipe out the Amalekites. What did he do? Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Actually kept their king, Agag. And he kept all their prized sheep. And he was told to wipe out the Amalekites. He lost his kingship over that. He lost his kingship. And that is where, you're, if, you, if you look in that chapter in Samuel, it's about 1, chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 19 or thereabouts, you see the definition of the sin of rebellion, which is witchcraft. Okay? That's where you see it. It comes up over that. And what does Samuel do? Samuel comes along and he has to kill King Agag. Okay, we'll talk about Agag in a minute, a bit more. When King Saul dies, you'll read this in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, you will see that someone comes running to David, goes, Saul is dead, Saul is dead, I've killed him. He was an Amalekite. He was an Amalekite. What did David do? Kill him. Straight there and then. Because he dared to touch the Lord's anointed, King Saul. Incidentally, about uh, three chapters earlier, you'll remember that King David, when he went back to Ziglag, wiped out the Amalekites. So throughout the Old Testament, there is this thing about the Amalekites being fought against. And we have to wonder why and what this signifies. And we go back to Exodus chapter 17. And this is what's so incredible. So here in chapter 17, we have the Amalekites. And it's the Lord at the head who is directing what 
to do. And this is an enormous army. Yeah? We are faced as the body of Christ today with armies that outnumber us a million to one, probably. Yeah? It's you and me, mate. God hasn't got any plan B. It's you and me. No other plan B. And it's all about what we have been talking this morning. It's us focusing on the Lord. Because what we learn from this passage here is that Moses had the staff of God. Yeah. Did he not? Isn't that amazing? Holds it up. And as long as he is praying, that's what holding up, arms of praise, the way through to God is through the tribe of Judah, wasn't it? That was on the east gate. Judah means praise. Arms lifted up like that. And as long as his arms were there, Joshua with his sword on the ground was winning the battle. Now there is significance in that because we have to earth what we're doing, don't we? You know? We can pray and pray and pray for people to get saved, but unless we open our mouths, mostly, we won't see people saved. But we need to lift our hands in prayer to be able to see the release of salvation among people. Yeah? So the Lord is our banner. This is what it all signifies. When you have armies coming against each other, don't you? I mean, you see it in the Battle of Waterloo, let's say, one of the most famous battles in the history of the world. You know, Napoleon against the Duke of Wellington. You know, it was the armies marching under their banners, wasn't it? It was a banner. You feel there's something about, there's something spiritually important about a banner. My goodness me, I've got the biggest banner in the universe. I've got the Lord as my banner. And we are walking as men onto war and women onto war. Are we not? We are going forward because we know the battle belongs to the Lord. And we've got to remember that the Lord is a God of war. So often misunderstood, you know, uh, when atheists say, you just read the Old Testament, all you see is God telling people, uh, telling the Hebrews to annihilate people. There's more to it than that, of course. It's a bit more supernatural than that, you know, when it comes to wiping out of Jericho, it's all the Rephaim and all those people, descendants of the Nephilim and things, but, you know, we can't get into that on the streets when we're preaching. But, you know, that's what's so important. And I think what the Amalekites do is it, it provides us with a kind of picture of all the ancient hatreds that are on the earth. And when it comes to ancient hatred, there is actually a, a, Jewish, ter- a, there's a, there's a Jewish term for ancient hatred, which, not being Hebrew, um, I can't pronounce it. Let me just tell you what it is, the term for ancient... It's only used twice. It's Olam Eba. occurs twice in Ezekiel, uh, 25 and 35, and it is used in Ezekiel 25 of the Philistines and 35 of the Edomites. So there are ancient hatreds that are present in the peoples of the world 
directed against the Jews, but spiritually against the Christians. Okay? Because there's an identity about that. And it's interesting that a lot of people have done studies on looking at these ancient hatreds. And I just want to talk through three of them, the main three. And the first one, let's use Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. So Isaac was, pro uh, sorry, Abraham was promised a son through, by God. You know, there's the Abrahamic covenant we read about in several places in scripture, but you know, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, that all nations will be blessed through you. Tremendous blessing. So, as you know, Abraham and, Sagar, uh, and Sarah were barren. And yet there was this promise. So, Sarah kind of suggested, well, you know, there's your maidservant. Go and have a child by her, because I'm barren. And Ishmael was born. And immediately you see in the scriptures that Hagar was contemptuous of Sarah. Instantly. Because she knew that there had been a, uh, a covenant with Abraham about blessing through him. And that technically Ishmael didn't belong to her because in those days it would belong to the real wife. But of course what happened was Abraham and Sarah were trying to kind of um, in the natural realm, outwork something that only God was going to do. And in the end, Sarah fell pregnant and Isaac was born. And Ishmael despised Isaac. That's very clear from Scripture. And why did he despise Isaac? Because of the blessing. It's inherent in our sin that we want to be the centre of any promise. So Ishmael, instead of releasing blessing upon his brother, or his half-brother, just released contempt. Yeah? And the result, if you read in Scripture, it's very, very clear about Ishmael when he gets spoken to, that it says he will fight every man. He will fight every man and that truth is still present today so if we look um, yeah so Ishmael the Ishmaelites and their descendants are guess who basically the peoples of the Middle East that surround Israel but it, remember it says that he will fight every man now let me give you an example that we're seeing at work and we've got Israel which is the only democracy in the Middle East yeah, surrounded by the nations that we read about in Psalm 83. But just to give you a couple of facts, if you look at the West Bank, the person in charge of the West Bank is, let me, I hope I get this around the right way, is Abbas of the Palestinian Authority, and in charge of the Gaza Strip is Hamas. They don't get on, those two. They hate each other as much as they hate everyone else. So they're at war with each other. So ha Abbas, let me tell you, when they had the Palestinian elections, was only meant to be elected for four years. He's still in power 16 years later because they can't get their act together about how to organise further elections. Israel in that time has had six elections because it's democratic. 
So this is an outworking of the play we read about in Scripture. And it's a play of what we see Jesus saying, they hated me without reason. See, there's no reason to their hate. And this goes back before Islam. It's just outworking through it at the moment. But this is the spirit of Antichrist. This is what we see when we talk about Europe. That's why we have to get out of Europe. The politics are secondary. It's the spiritual that is primary. Isn't that true? So that's one of the ancient hatreds. Let me give you a really interesting second ancient hatred. Abraham and Lot. Okay, now Lot was Abraham's nephew. They go into the land that they're given by God and quarrels arise between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. So much so that Abraham says, I don't want this quarrelling. I'll tell you what, Lot, you can tell me which land you want and I'll choose the rest. Remember this, it was Abraham's decision. It was his discretion because he was given the promises of God upon which he could then say to Lot, you can have some land, I'll let you have it. Lot chose the trance Jordan, which is modern-day Jordan. Guess what Lot's descendants were? Moab and Ammon, two of the countries that you'll find in Psalm 83. Okay? So Ammon and Moabites, currently east of the Jordan, have this ancient hatred of Abraham's descendants because it was back then Abraham and Lot. It caused discord. Yeah? This is how the Bible is playing out in modern day events. And the last one, uh, there's actually two more, Jacob and Esau. Now we have to be very careful about Jacob and Esau because actually Rebecca got the prophecy that Jacob actually was going to be the rightful heir. It's there in black and white in the prophecy given to Rebecca in Genesis. And um, it says the the older will will serve the younger. And as they were born, the twins, Esau and Jacob, you know, uh, Jacob means he shall grasp his heel. And and Jacob was born. born. Now here's a lesson. Esau comes in one day, ravenously hungry, says, I need your meat, I need your meat, I need your meat. And Jacob says, well, what will you pay for it? Esau says, well, you can have my inheritance. Do you know, there are flippant choices that we can make. This is what the Lord's impressed upon me. There are flippant choices we can make as Christians and decisions that seem inconsequential that have massive knock-on effects. It is so important. I am trembling more and more. I really mean what I'm about to say. I now am beginning to tremble for people who reject God, who knowingly reject God. It, It makes me tremble. And actually I want to tremble more because I want to see the lost coming in. It trembles me for Christians who say things. You know, I talked in a previous talk about eternity. And Esau, just on a whim, 
Do you see the significance of what he did? It was just a little brother-brother conflict, a little brother-brother interaction, but it's had massive global outcomes. Can you not see that? Took one bullet to start World War I. One bullet, that's all it took. Can you see how our decisions at a personal level have global impact? So important to understand. <coughs> so at a little family level, Esau threw away his birthright. And Jacob inherited it. It had glow and, and so Esau and his family became the Edomites. Where were they? East of the Jordan, mentioned in Psalm 83, as Andy um, was talking about. That's another of the ancient hatreds. And it's all before Islam. This is what I'm trying to express. You know, when I talk about the crescent moon, it was there in Egypt. And that's the final ancient hatred. Egypt hating Israel. Ten plagues. Yeah? They try to battle out with their gods against the one and only true living God and lost badly. That's gone down the centuries. You know, if you don't believe me about spiritual inheritance, spiritual inheritance is just as important as physical inheritance, let me tell you. I've been in a meeting, and this is where it was exhibited to me naturally. Uh, exhibited to me. I was in a meeting where somebody said, we need to repent of all our hatreds in the nations. And if, you've got, if you're descended in your blood from somewhere, blah, 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 um, then you need to actually um, repent. So, this happened to me personally as well, I have to say. So they, they talked about um, people who hated the Germans because of World War II. I can tell you the carnage that broke out in that meeting when people started repenting at a spiritual level happened to me. See, I, I thought I loved the Germans, and I do actually. See, my mother's French. She's watched the Nazis come into Paris where she lived. She has been, and I love my mother. Bless my mother, Lord. Bless her, bless her, bless her. But she has struggled, you know, understandably in some ways. But when I started repenting of, just because of what happened in France, and I'm half French, and wanted to forgive the Germans, I was on the floor. You see, we inherit spiritual stuff as much as we do physical stuff. You know? It's, it's, it's a pattern of scripture. So these things amongst the nations that we see are simply outplaying everything that is in Genesis. That's where it is. Now we have to come back full circle. That I feel, I'm hoping, has explained to you what I feel the Lord is showing about the global scene that we need to understand at a local level and at a personal level. And that's why I feel when we've been praying this 24-hour prayer, and bless you guys for doing it, do you understand the global significance it can have? Do you understand that? Have you got it? Have I got it in my heart that I really, 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 really want to see revival? You know, we see knife crime. We had a murder just down the road from our house in Romford that was on the national news. I was seeing it on the national headlines, you know, looking at it on the papers when I was walking in London, not far from our house, knowing that the murder had only been a couple of, you know, 300 yards away. It has an impact on you, I can tell you. 
But you see, knife crime is not going to be sorted by the politicians, beloved. It's going to be sorted by you and I in that closet room with that portal going, Lord, come down. Lord, pour your spirit out. Lord, ignite the fire. Lord, may there be a Holy Spirit geezer. You know, that's what we need to pray. That is the answer. You know, when we're singing, we are the generation, my heart leaps. It leaps because that's what I live for. And that's what the Lord is trying to show me right now about the season of my life, by the way. You know, part of that is, even yet, you were anointed to be a doctor. But actually, life is more than that. It's all about, actually, I put you there. I had you as a season of a child because the reason why the Lord showed me as a child because it was actually one time I could remember life without medicine. Do you understand that? You may not understand that, but you know, if we've, well, we've all had jobs, it's very difficult to remember ourselves in whom we were before that season. And that's what the Lord reminded me of. Ian, you've got a job to do. Yeah? And you've got a job to do, Caroline. You have. Serve you, Andrew. It, it's so important. Serve you, Camilla. You've got a job before the Lord. And we have got to allow the Lord to work through us. And that is, back to what I said at the beginning, putting our lives on the altar. And you know, when I was one of the leaders of, of the church that Denise and I went to for 30 years, and we had a big church, in, relatively big, you know, it was great. It was great. And I arrogantly, arrogantly used to stand at the front thinking this was it, you know, because the Lord was showing up and it was wonderful. But my goodness me, the Lord taught me some stuff over the last five years about pain, about sacrifice, about putting things down. And boy, oh boy, if you don't do it, let me tell you, God will go, oh, are you going to do it now? And he'll go, oh, he will. Believe me, he will. Because he wants the best for you. He best, wants the best for me. And thank you, Lord, for stamping on me in love. Honestly, honestly, because I want to serve him. In that way, I'm not interested in standing up here. I'm interested in serving him. I'm interested in being passionate for Jesus, to see him come down. You know, this place, by the way, became full of angels as we were singing. You know, it, was, it, it started off, and as we got going towards Judah and through Judah, you know, suddenly the angels were joining us. I don't know if you noticed it. The, the, just the sounds were so much more than, than us. The joy, you know, the, the angels are there. They love it. They love it. And so our passion has got to be towards him. We live in terrible, terrible times. But we live in the best, best, best of times. And I'll, I'll, I'll make one little kind of reference. Denise said, don't do that, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> so um, th this called submission. You know, we can look at all the end time stuff and it, it's... Huh? 
called rebellion. All the end time stuff and all the stuff that's going on. Let me talk about the honeybee. The honeybee. Okay? You know, we, we, we've got to understand, in order to pray earnestly, we've got to understand where we are. And boy, oh boy, we ain't got long. You know, Andrew, I, Andrew, Andrew, Andy preaches this non-stop. The honeybee, okay? Did you know that in this country, the honeybee, has, its numbers have reduced by 75% over about the last 20 years? In America, it's even worse. In Europe, it's not quite so bad. So what, you say? Honeybees pollinate, pollinate 70 of our top 100 crops. Without the honeybee, there is mass starvation on a global and apocalyptic scale. Okay? Do you get that? Do you really get that? So what it means is, and the reason, by the way, for it is pesticides. The scary result of that is that they want to use technology which I'm not going to bore you with. It's called CRISPR technology. It's frightening technology. I've alluded to it before. It's, it's being uh, looked at for, for human science, but it's scary. Okay, CRISPR technology, it's called. They want to use CRISPR technology to alter the genetic makeup of bees, which will allow the world to use stronger pesticides to wipe everything else so we become <coughs> robotic, so there's no multicultural life out there, if you see what I mean. It's just black and white. There's no colour to it. You know, that's just the honeybee. This was an article in Geographical, which was full of stuff about where we're heading to oblivion just on the basis of our crops and our trees. Yeah? So we are living in really, really cataclysmic times. I, do we thank the Lord for that, by the way? Because we're the chosen generation. You know, we are. There is no generation after us, guys. We are it. And that is an awesome burden and an awesome responsibility. And we are, you see, what I believe is what Andy says, is that we're going to have the sevenfold spirit. We're going to have everything in fullness. The battle isn't going to be, the spiritual battle is going to be what we kind of see in what I call in the Nephilim films of Hollywood. You know, people are going to be lifting up entire buildings and throwing them at each other. Literally. And we're going to be part of that cosmic battle. That's why we need to pray, pray, pray. That's why, as we pray like Moses did, and when we sit down, we get our arms lifted up. The Lord is our banner. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do we want to go on? Do we want to move on? Do we want to really grow in the Lord? Amen! Amen. Thank you.